Death has come to your little town, Sheriff. Have you ever felt a knife cut through human flesh and scrape the bone beneath? You're gonna need a bigger boat. Be my victim. Hello, my name is Austin Torres, and welcome to the Would You Die podcast, the show where we talk about our favorite horror monsters and villains. Today, I'm joined by horror film analysis writer and the host of the horror film podcast, Horn Blood Fire, my friend Amber. Hi, Austin. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited that you're here <laughs> because I, um, like we were talking about earlier before we started recording, I listen to your podcast a lot. And it's so much fun to listen to, especially when I'm working at the office job and I'm learning about either films I've seen, but maybe not get or films <laughs> I've never heard of. But now I want to watch. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much. That was that was really my aim with the podcast. Like I, I really wanted to choose films that people might not have heard of before. And I, I try to keep it like an interesting mix. Like I, I did like films like Hereditary and The Lighthouse, which I'm pretty sure everyone has heard of. But then, you know, we did an episode on Tokyo Gore Place or Hagazusa, which is a, a German film that a lot of people might not know about. So I try to keep an interesting mix and, you know, keep people on their toes. And I love that because it's definitely... <laughs> Something where I'm like, oh, I'm going to add that to the watch list. <laughs> and sometimes there's parts where it's like, OK, I'm going to stop listening because I'm sold on the movie and I don't want to hear anymore. You so I can go like, watch, watch it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so today's episode, I hope everyone listening has already made your reservations for Dorgia because we are talking Patrick Bateman from American Psycho. <laughs> yes, my favorite. And I find it really funny because on your podcast, you have not talked about American Psycho yet. No, I haven't. And I keep, so as you know, that the whole thing about my podcast is that the guests kind of choose their movie. I mean, they choose three things that they like and I give them some options and nobody has chosen something that would fit with American Psycho yet. You know, I keep wishing for someone to say, oh, I really love, you know, like yuppies, blood and 80s music. And then I would be like, yes, OK, we're doing American Psycho. But no one's done it yet. So when you, you know, you, you said, should we talk about a villain? I was like, this is the perfect chance to talk about my boy, Patrick. I love that. <laughs> like, because when we were talking, like setting this up, I mentioned for you, like no one's brought up Pat or American Psycho through that. So this is your opportunity for Patrick Bateman. I'm like, no one's asked me to talk about Predator. And I'm personally offended because that's <laughs> like one of my favorite monsters. You'll get there. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm, I'm what someone's going to bring up. Someone's going to be like, let's talk about Predator. And I'm going to be like, Now's my time to shine. So <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna get out um, the notebook and be like, I'm ready. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Especially because Prey just came out. Mm -hmm. And I make it very clear I'm a huge Predator fan. So I'm like, no one's invited me on their show to talk about Prey. Well, I haven't talked about Predator. I haven't talked about Predator on my podcast yet. So, you know, if it comes up, you'll be the first person I call. Well, if I had to pick three words i guess i would choose i like muscles aliens <laughs> and 80s machismo and i <laughs> okay, think that okay. yeah, i think there's there's really only a, <laughs> a few that could fit into that i guess maybe like 
they live could work as well oh um, but no we would definitely we would definitely have to go for predator for that one i think we don't really have a choice i do have to say they live is an amazing film and it i is. wouldn't be that upset i'd be like you know what i played myself there <laughs> I mean, it's a but great i'm okay feature. with it it is and honestly, I think They Live would make a great double feature with American Psycho. Yes, 100%. I think that, like, thematically, they're pretty identical. I mean, as long as you take out the, the you know, the not supernatural, but, you know, the more fantastical qualities of They Live. Yeah, you know, things like 80s consumerism, like disaffected masculinity. It's all there. We just don't have the glasses that we have in They Live. <laughs> And it's interesting because it's just, I think the big difference other than, you know, fucking aliens is the perspective. Because mm -hmm. they live is like blue collar working American man. Mm -hmm. And American Psycho is the other side of American man, which is rich, hollow, all about the exterior where there's nothing interior. Oh, yes. Yeah. Completely shallow. It's it's all the, the, this is the thing I love about American Psycho, and I'm sure we'll get into this in depth later, but mm -hmm. everything you need to know about American Psycho is on the surface. Like, there is there is nothing... Like, Patrick Bateman likes to think he's this mysterious and hidden character, but he's not. It's all there. Everything you need to know about American Psycho is on the surface. It's such a... Sh like, the story is intentionally shallow, and that's what I love about it. And I'm going to tell you a story real quick. Mm -hmm. I promise it gets better, but you may be a little offended at first. It's very hard to offend me. I promise. I'm British. All right. <laughs> I love that answer. I I didn't like American Psycho when I first saw it. Mm -hmm. And it's 100% because I didn't get it at first. That's Totally, that's totally fair. I've, he I've heard that a lot. I know a, it, a lot of people don't like it. I think more now it's gotten kind of like a cultural renaissance especially because it's been like memed to death yeah um but i know when it came out people were furious about it it's funny because it's like a satire of the 80s and when it came out it kind of brought out that 80s conservatism and people again who were offended mm -hmm. by horror movies and rock music <laughs> exactly i yeah i mean yeah. yeah it's like I, the 2000s really, like, supposed sorry sorry carry on <laughs> we both said sorry at the same time <laughs> i think that's great i was just gonna say it's supposed to be the 2000s we've progressed beyond that 80s crudeness but apparently not <laughs> well this is this is what's really interesting about american psycho is that a little tangent on brett easton ellis as an author brett easton ellis is kind of a dickhole he's very much like oh, council culture and woke snowflakes are ruining this world. But there was one thing he did say, and that is that he said American Psycho, the book anyway, could not be released now. And I kind of agree with him because I'm seeing like recently this kind of shift back into moral puritanism, especially in horror, where people are like, you can't enjoy this film because the main character does bad things. And I'm like... Is, is have we gone back like 30 or 40 years like like you're saying like the, the 2000s and even now we're, we're supposed to be moved past that 80s like moral panic kind of freak out thing but even today i see people like oh american psycho is a book about a misogynistic rapist murderer so you can't enjoy it i'm like that's the point of it <laughs> of it <laughs> exactly and i think the fact that the film is a satire a lot of people don't i'm trying to choose my words carefully because i don't want to be like a lot of people don't get it because like 
sometimes people don't know that's okay. <laughs> you know, I think like a normal person, not that horror fans aren't normal people, but like, <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> but like someone who like, who isn't like you and me, who doesn't see all the movies and know like all mm-hmm. the movies coming out, who probably sees like three or four movies a year a lot of people probably went out expecting american psycho to be a slasher film mm-hmm. and it's not, not really that at all no definitely not i mean i i don't even know if i i've like i like you said i have seen it classed as a slasher and i think probably the marketing was quite misleading i don't remember the marketing i was alive when this movie came out but i don't really remember it i remember seeing the front cover in blockbuster or whatever but i didn't watch it until i was 16 so i don't remember the marketing but yeah it's not a slasher and i wouldn't sometimes i think is it even a horror i mean it is a horror but it's more like at times it's like a black comedy it's not even that gory i mean it's violent, um, definitely, uh, especially in regards to how Patrick treats women. But it, there's not that much blood in it. I don't know if I'm like showing myself to be completely desensitized. Um, <laughs> but, you know, is, is it that gory? Like, would you say that? No, I wouldn't think it's I don't think it's gory at all because the most violent scene in which. Uh, oh, spoilers for American Psycho. <laughs> if you made it to this point, spoilers for the whole film in case you haven't seen it. I don't think we've done any spoilers yet, but I'm about to do a big one. When Patrick Bateman takes an axe to Jared Leto's face. (laughs) You don't see any of the violence. It's all like the shots are just on Patrick Bateman. Like you see Patrick Bateman just I'm motioning like people can see this. No one's going to see this. It's a podcast. (laughs) He's swinging his axe. (laughs) Yeah, he's swinging his axe. I think you see like a obscured image of Paul's um Jared Leto's character of Jared Leto's body like slump into the floor but the yeah, way it's shot a, is like you barely make it up yeah, yeah exactly which is so it's so funny because the book I have the book here the book is one of my favorite books and if, if you haven't read the book it, I do recommend it but it is a hard read because where the film is not violent the book is like painfully violent the the paul allen murder in the book is like very visceral very disgusting and i always think it's it's interesting that mary harron chose not to make this film this violent and i never know if that was a conscious choice like i'd be interested to know if if at the time this was considered a really violent film with gore or is the violence not shown because it never happened? You know, this is the big thing in, in American Psycho. Did any of it happen? Is the reason we don't see a lot of gore because it never happened? It's something I always think about. Oh, yeah, for sure. And just my personal interpretation on it. I mean, I don't know for sure because, you know, I don't know Mary Heron. <laughs> for me, I always kind of viewed it as an artistic choice for it mm-hmm. not to be that violent. For like what you're saying to go for the ambiguity of it, but also as a tonal, like because it is a black comedy, because it is a satire, I do think it was just Mary Heron using a artistic um, as a film director, just making artistic choices to shoot scenes in a certain way 
I would say in terms of gore and violence, American Psycho is more tame than the tamest Friday the 13th movie. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, like you said, the most violent scene is probably the scene where Paul Allen gets hit with the axe. We also have the chainsaw scene, which we don't even really see. You know, Christy falls way to the bottom of the stairs. She ends up with a chainsaw in her back, but we see it from, you know, like a, a five stories up. We don't really see it. And then there's a very brief scene, obviously, where Patrick opens the fridge and there's a head in there there's a scene where christy runs into his closet and he's got two women hung up and i think there's also a scene where she goes into his bathroom and you can see that his bathtub is filled with something presumably a chopped up paul allen but she mary harron doesn't let you like stay on it her her editing is and her camera style is very um you know it's it's christy's point of view so we're running it's very frantic but yeah it, it's it's such an interesting choice that she decided not to go full tilt with the gore and i've always thought the one thing i would Amer- american psycho to me is a perfect movie but the one thing i would like is a little a little more nastiness um and i don't know if that's just cuz i'm a freak but um a little bit more of the book. There are certain parts of the book that are fucking... Well, sorry, can I swear? Oh, uh, no, not at all. It's a, no. We're talking about dead bodies and <laughs> violence and a little, like, swearing. I'm not down for that shit, so no. No fucking... No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, you're good. It's funny, because um, when you're a podcaster, people always do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I get it, but... I always answer like, yeah, yeah, but it just happened right now. And I'm like, you know what? What happens if I say no? Well, but I, no, I, you can't. Like, I know some people don't want to get, <laughs> they don't want like the explicit rating on the podcast. Um, And I, I, oh. I don't know how, I always put mine as explicit just because I don't want kids anywhere near it. But I like to, you know, drop an F-bomb now and then. And I, I haven't met anyone in horror who's been like, oh my God, you can't say that. Right. But you you were you were right to you were right to to ask. I was being a dick. Um, <laughs> I like to check. Um, but yeah, like, yeah. I can't even remember what context I was using it. Oh yeah, the book. There are there are parts of the book that are absolutely fucking foul. There's one yeah. particularly revolting scene with a rat, which I'm not going to go into. But yeah, a little more disgustingness would have been fun for me. Earlier this week, I was checking out the audio book mm. of American Psycho while I was at work. And I've not finished it, but I got to the scene with the homeless man. Oh, yeah. And I was at work and I was like, yeah, I'm gonna take a break from this book for a little <laughs> bit. I'm gonna put on some pop music. <laughs> it's very intense. Yeah, I mean, I literally, the, the book of American Psycho is basically, it's one third Patrick describing people's outfits and furniture. It's another it's another third describing the most explicit sex you've ever seen in your life. And then another third describing the most explicit violence in your whole life. I know three thirds doesn't make a whole, but I, I'm not good at math. Um, so it might do. <laughs> but and then like there's another another little sliver which is kind of dedicated to like Patrick's unraveling. But yeah, for the most part, it's indistinguishable and towards the end you're like is he talking about having sex or is he talking about killing a woman like you the lines merge so much that you're genuinely unsure of what he's doing by the end of it and i don't think he even knows by the end of it either right no that's yeah that's so ah you got it so right that words failed to come to my brain but uh (laughs) because he's so nonchalant about it he describes this horrible act of violence towards a homeless man and his dog which is very upsetting in the movie i i would say it's done tastefully in the movie 
you see like a gut stab and then most of the violence is from like 50 feet away like a very extreme mm-hmm. wide shot but in the book it's described so i'm not going to describe it how it is in the book you can check out the book or the audio book yourselves if you want to know but it's very disturbing in the book what he does to this man and this dog and mm-hmm. And then like the very next chapter, he's talking about the career of Genesis and Phil Collins. <laughs> like know, nothing yeah. happened. <laughs> I know, yeah. I mean, and that, that just goes to show like, I, I mean, a, a thousand million things have been said about Patrick Bateman as a character, but his his complete apathy towards anything that isn't pop culture is something that, you know, it's sadly, like, I'm still seeing parts of American Psycho today. Um, and I, I, you know, I wasn't alive in the 80s, but, you know, American Psycho, could you tweak a few things here and there, and this mo- this film and, and book could take place in the year 2022. I mean, Patrick would probably, you know, he'd probably not be on TikTok, but he would def- definitely be, he would be like a Jordan Peterson guy, like, he would be a Joe Rogan guy, like, he would be like, yeah, you you know you know what I mean. Like, it's so applicable to the world we live in now as well, and I think that's part of the reason why I love it so much is because it 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 hasn't changed, and that's sad and scary. Right. It's like this culture of men who all they care about is how they are perceived by others to the point mm-hmm. where there's nothing really happening. Because like with Patrick Bateman, I love the Huey Lewis monologue before he um <laughs> before he murders Jared Leto's character it's just a brilliant scene but he says something along the lines of it wasn't until 1983 sports where they came into their own both artistically and commercially mm-hmm. and it's like well that's when Huey Lewis and the news became like pop <laughs> exactly and okay the genesis thing so genesis I was raised on Genesis, okay, but not Phil Collins Genesis. My dad is a huge fucking like prog rock nerd. I was raised on Peter Gabriel Genesis. And for anyone not familiar with Peter Gabriel Genesis, this is a Genesis that would do like 20 minute long tracks about uh, goblins, demons, biblical mythology. And (laughs) I was like, yes, come on, Peter. So it, it's so fun. And like a lot of people are like, well, when Peter Gabriel left, he he took the like creativity away. And that's no shade to Phil Collins because I like Phil Collins as a musician too. Patrick literally says that. He's like, oh, I didn't like the stuff with Peter Gabriel because it was too artsy and he didn't understand it. He likes Genesis when they become pop, when they become, you know, vapid, when they become culturally relevant, but have in a way sold their soul. And I hope I'm not going to get hate from like, modern genesis fans if there are any modern <laughs> genesis fans out there but yeah it, it's it's funny because again it's it's this whole like this this patrick that doesn't have an identity he's so he's so nothing and i think that's what makes a lot of people frustrated is when they see we see a culture of men taking patrick and using patrick as like a cultural icon like oh he's got the great body he's rich he gets women he's nobody patrick is a loser like patrick has no identity he's completely indistinguishable from any of these other men he's got no personality he 
it's so like self-obsessed and self-absorbed and he's like pathetic as well he can't even handle not having a reservation he bursts into he at one point he's like i'm on the verge of tears because we don't have a table and it kind of goes along with that whole like tyler durden i guess joker to an extent although my feelings on joker are mixed because i think todd phillips kind of really does think that that joker is like a cool guy but anyway it's like that misunderstanding of of the point the point is that you don't want to be patrick you're meant to pity patrick you're meant to want to be the peter gabriel in this situation not the phil collins again no hate to phil no that's so brilliant brilliantly said if i remember correctly in the audiobook he says straight up in the air tonight's like one of the greatest songs ever made and i love the song but it is like the most generic <laughs> pop rock i it's a great song don't get me wrong no, but it's I, wouldn't, I love it it's like it appeals to everyone right yeah, it is well, the most the, yeah, yeah. This is the like the thing. I, I'm sorry to go off on another Genesis tangent. I can't believe it. But like one <laughs> of the reasons, like Genesis are a really interesting band that he chose because one of the reasons Peter Gabriel left the band was because Phil Collins wanted to take it in a more commercial direction. Basically, he wanted he wanted to be popular. He wanted the money. He wanted to be on MTV. And Peter Gabriel was like, I, you know, that's against what I want. I want to be creative. I want to keep making weird shit about goblins. And he went off and did that and had his great career. And Genesis had a great career. But for a lot of Genesis fans, you know, that's where they lost them is when they did go and make this really generic, almost boring. I don't want to say boring because Genesis rock. (laughs) but it's so like it's just like generic 80s pop music and the fact that patrick loves it is so funny yeah like all right i'm gonna ask you a really hard question that you are not prepared for because i just because i just came up with it just now i apologize in advance if patrick bateman was if american psycho was 2022 (laughs) who would he be talking about as a musical artist in place of huey lewis and genesis oh god um i don't (laughs) know any modern music so this is (laughs) but you know who i'm thinking i think he Mm -hmm. would be like big into cold play and not like old Coldplay because i I, I i've never been a Coldplay fan but like old Mm -hmm. Old Coldplay used to be kind of cute and kind of cool and like slightly indie. And now they're doing like fucking EDM songs and like yeah. collabing with BTS. The the BTS stands are gonna come after me. So I would just like, <laughs> say like no, no hate to BTS here. But yeah, probably something like Coldplay or like Imagine Dragons, like something just so yes. so void of personality and like oh Maroon 5. Oh my god, Patrick Bateman loves Maroon 5. <laughs> I see it. And you know what? I like Imagine Dragons. I like Maroon 5. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. But you're right. That's the thing. You well, are there's, absolutely there's, right. There's space to like those those songs. I to me, that's kind of the like the the big stadium fillers, the the music that makes money but isn't necessarily culturally or critically well received. And you know, who ultimately who gives a shit what critics think? Like nobody, but you know what I mean, right? Yeah. No, exactly. So if you're listening and Maroon 5 is your favorite band, that's awesome. <laughs> but I don't know what, what I was going to say there. <laughs> but like, but I, they're Patrick I guess Bateman's I'm, favorite band. Yeah, they're yeah, they're also Patrick. The thing is, like, Patrick Bateman only likes these bands because they're popular. Mm-hmm. Yes. And he, these he bands are popular because told yeah, to. Exactly. These bands are popular because they're good. But mm-hmm. Patrick Bateman can't form his own opinion. Like when he the scene where he's in the I think it's the Barcadia where he takes 
what's her face to Bart, um, Barcadia. It's the oh, one. Courtney. Yes, yes. Thank you. Uh, I forget the names of the other characters. <laughs> well, this is the thing. All the women are the same as well. All the women are the same person. And I'm like, I know Justin Thoreau plays one of his co-workers, but I don't remember his name at all. Mm-hmm. But um, he's, he's Bryce. Bryce. Thank you. I only remember Paul Allen's name is because it's said fucking 20 <laughs> times throughout the, throughout the movie. So I only know it through repetition. But um, mm-hmm. I forgot the context of why I went too far into a thought. And I don't remember where I was going with it. Uh, you were talking about how he took he takes Courtney to Barcadia. And he's like, you should try this dish. New York Times calls it a mysterious little di- or a playful, mysterious little dish or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's like he can't speak for himself. He's just exactly, going off what yeah. other people are saying. Hot take. I think if it's funny because in the movie and in the book, he only watches horror films and mm-hmm. porn. Yeah. I think if it was made now, Patrick Bateman would be a huge Marvel fan. Yes, literally. I'm glad you said it. (laughs) As a Marvel fan myself, (laughs) it is the most generic cookie cutter. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm glad I'm glad you said that because everyone knows that I'm a Marvel hater and I don't want (laughs) to I don't want to like stereotype myself. But you're totally right. Like he would. He would like these. These big budget marvel blockbusters that if you enjoy them that's fine there's a space for that obviously but ultimately they don't add anything to the to you know i sound like such an asshole sorry (laughs) they don't add anything to like culture or art they're just easily digestible entertainment and that is fine there's a place for that we all need that yeah i i totally think i think patrick bateman would watch um avengers and porn and that would be <laughs> right, right. And like, I love the Marvel movie. I'm a huge Marvel fan. You know, I grew up reading the comics and loving like Spider-Man and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I go and see all the new movies. I enjoy them. But at the end of the day, they're pop songs. Exactly. They do what they need to do and they get out. They don't really reach for anything high artistically. I will make the argument for Black Panther. I think I that one. Sorry. I think that one is the exception. Um, mm-hmm. And there's I, um, first Spider-Man movie, the the first one that had Willem Dafoe in it. I thought that was fun. Well, that one was like well before the Marvel movies, yeah. right? That one was yeah. back when comic book movies didn't know what they were yet. Mm-hmm. And I and Sam Raimi. Yeah, Sam Raimi can do no wrong. Oh, that's not true. But for me, Sam Raimi <laughs> can do no wrong. <laughs> I'm a huge Sam Raimi fan. And I liked his Marvel movie. (laughs) Interesting segue is that um, Mm -hmm. Willem Dafoe is also in that. And he is also, and you know what is funny? I always forget that he's in it. Every time. And I've seen this movie. (laughs) I have seen this movie probably more than I've seen any other movie in my life. I used that when I was 16, I downloaded it onto an iPod classic, which was like the big iPod. And I used to sit in class at college and, like, watch it under my desk. Um, I would watch it on the bus home. I would watch it day in, day out. I was 
obsessed and like really weirdly really resonated with me i was you know i was a 16 year old girl in england why am i resonating with you know a 28 year old man living in new york in the 80s <laughs> but i don't know i just i just absolutely loved it but yeah every time i watch it willem dafoe shows up and i'm like oh shit it's willem dafoe oh and that's a willem dafoe reaction for any movie right mm-hmm. Oh, like, completely, yeah. It's it's always, oh shit, I'm in for a good time. <laughs> it's Willem Dafoe. Yes, and he's he's so good in this movie. There's something so, so sinister about him. And even when he shows up, I mean, you know, there's no good guys in this movie. There's no, like, savior. There's no hero. This is right. just a, a cop that's looking for Paul Allen. He doesn't really care. And there's something sinister about the way that he taunts to Patrick I mean there's something sinister about everyone in this movie the only people I really feel sorry for in this movie are Gene his PA mm-hmm. Courtney to an extent but Courtney's kind of an asshole too um <laughs> and Lewis I feel bad for Lewis and I think Lewis is an interesting character because oh, I'm gonna go off on a tangent here um, brilliant I love tangents <laughs> because Brett Easton is a, is a gay man mm-hmm. and Lewis is a gay, a gay gay character in this book who's not out, who comes on to Patrick and Patrick reacts with the most vile, homophobic disgust. And I, I always think it's interesting that the two adaptations of Americans, well, the original book is not an adaptation, it's the, the book, but that was written by a gay man and the film was directed by Mary Harron, who was a woman. And that's two of the four demographics that, are most harmed by Patrick, the other demographic being um, people of color and the, the fourth being poor people. So I don't know. I always think it's so interesting that Brett Easton has put Lewis in as a character. And I, 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 I feel really bad for Lewis, but also Lewis is kind of an asshole because he's still part of that whole yuppie thing. Yeah. And it's like, I feel bad for him, but at the same time, he's complicit, right? Mm. It's almost like he knows the world he's in. But he's still only looking out for himself. So he he's okay with it because he's benefiting. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, Lewis sees Patrick Bateman loading what is obviously a body into the back of a cab. Yeah. And he's like, where did you get your overnight bag? You know, he really gives a shit about the, you know, the, the brand of the bag. He doesn't actually care that there's clearly a dead body in it because, he you know, he doesn't care. No one in the story cares. Right. And it's like that apathy that comes from only caring about yourself mm-hmm. which exactly. yeah i just had a thought which i think is kind of funny i'm surprised they don't really do this in the movie mm-hmm. i don't know if they i'm about i'd say a third through the book so i still have a lot of ways to go in the book but i'm surprised that patrick bateman's not really a sports fan i can't remember i think that there's a couple of times when he says he wants to watch a baseball game I think it's like towards the beginning he has to go for dinner Mm -hmm. with with Evelyn and he doesn't want to obviously because he doesn't like her and he says like I would rather be watching the baseball game but I can't remember I might I might be wrong but I don't know if he ever expresses like a huge level of interest I think again it's one of those things where he likes it because everyone else likes it um and you know he keeps up with the scores and for me American sport I I don't know any sport but American sport I Mm -hmm. I know nothing about so I don't know if he would be into like baseball or basketball or american football i mean you probably would be able to guess better than i would (laughs) well i feel like he would be for american football he wouldn't because he lives in new york but he wouldn't Mm. root for the new york giants or the new york bills no that's a i'm sorry the buffalo bills 
like he wouldn't root for the hometown team. He would root for whoever just won the Super Bowl. Oh yeah, 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 a hundred percent. Yeah, he he doesn't he doesn't have any any loyalty. He doesn't have any deep running connections to anything. He just cares about what's fashionable and what's cool. Right. And yeah, again, I don't know if he does get into sports, but there there are definitely times when he does mention it. But it's again, he doesn't have a personality. Sports is not his personality because he just doesn't have one. And uh, <laughs> exactly a little bit of culture difference between you and I. I know you guys call football football and we call your football soccer but for everyone listening i'm just gonna broaden my cultural horizons and call it football (laughs) when i mean soccer for because i feel like mostly americans listen to this at this point but i'm gonna call it football right now which is weird for me because i'm an american anyways i feel like patrick bateman would watch football Mm mm-hmm And I don't know too much about football, but I feel like the most the team I hear about the most is Manchester United. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh I mean, they're they're one of I'm the wrong person to talk to. I don't know (laughs) shit about football. But yeah, Man U, Man City, Arsenal, Leeds. um, (laughs) Showing my ass here. Um, But yeah, Manchester, probably the most famous team. You've done way better than I could have. I (laughs) I'll give you that. But the point is, I feel like he would be a Manchester United fan because he would watch, um, I'm sorry, football. He'd watch football (laughs) to seem like, oh, I'm cultured, where it's like, you're just watching the most popular sport in the world, dude. (laughs) That's so funny that that he would, you would think in America, him watching football would make him cultured because here it would be the complete opposite. Right. And (laughs) I just feel like, I just feel like that's what Patrick Bateman would do. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, probably. I mean, yeah, exactly. He's into the he's into the things that everyone else likes, but he's not into the things that are cool. Because you know, he there's that one scene where they go at the close to the beginning. They meet the art the artist couple. The guy looks like Robert Smith from The Cure. They're, they're like the two mm-hmm. goths, and they're pretentious. They're assholes, but they have like character. Like yeah, I, I mean, it, to an extent, they're still products of like yuppie society, just a different kind. But in the book, they talk more about how that you know they enjoy different things and like more counterculture things. And and Patrick just can't understand. Like him and Pat, him and Tim Bryce have this huge discussion where they like they're obsessed with this couple. They can't get over it because like to them, if you enjoy something that's not popular, you they just literally cannot compute it. Right, exactly. And I I just had a funny thought <laughs> if, patrick, <laughs> if patrick bateman was a flavor of ice cream oh man he'd be he'd be vanilla oh yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> but he'd be but he i feel like he'd, he'd really want to be like i don't know like pistachio or something like like something that goes through a very like specific cultural phase you know like people go through yeah. phases of certain flavors like i don't know like pumpkin spice or whatever he he <laughs> wants to be that he's desperate to be that but he's not he's just plain old plain old nothingness um mm-hmm. which is always so interesting because there are moments in the film where he does show some kind of vulnerability or but then I think, is any of it real? This is what I'm interested in, like always interested in talking to people. Like, do you think any of Patrick's story is real? Like the breakdown on the phone, right. uh, calling his lawyer, the times where we see him lose his composure. Is that an indication of like a real person under there? Or do you think there's just nothing? I, It's so hard, right? Because for me, I feel like there's the smallest hint of a real person mm-hmm. hidden deep, deep, deep inside Patrick yeah. Bateman. 
but he doesn't know what that is. It's so deep down that I feel like he could feel the essence of a personality of an identity, but it's hidden underneath all this pop culture, Mm -hmm. meaningless pop music, film, empty, hollow, performative stuff. Like when he's at one of the many, many dinner scenes of this film talking like, well, there are a lot more issues we need to pay attention than Sri Lanka. Oh, yeah. That's how he said it. And he's just Sri like, Lanka. yeah, and he's, he's just like, we have to stop sexism in the workplace and we have to feed the poor and we have to yeah. uh, address climate change. And it's like, yes, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> but you're not going to do anything about it. Like, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's like he, he it's comes hollow. so close to being human. Like, like you said, he has that whole speech at the table where you're like yes patrick and then you know he's like he's telling his friends off for being anti-semitic he's yeah. so close to being an actual human but you can tell it's he's just parroting things yes. that he's heard like he doesn't actually believe these things he doesn't care you know i i don't think patrick i mean obviously patrick is a bigot he's a racist he's a sexist but i think more than anything he just doesn't care enough about anything he just hates everything but there's also like this film's book it's like i i often forget and want to go back to the the idea that it it has a lot about mental illness in it patrick is mentally ill i mean we see him take pills a lot of the time i'm not sure what kind of he does say them in the book he just say what kind they are but i think there's a really interesting comment in this book about how ignoring people's mental illness and ignoring these cries for help can lead people down dangerous paths and i'm not one to be like oh that you know the, the school shooter was mentally ill we need to like be nice to him but in the case of patrick he cries out for help and everyone just fucking blanks him and you know, he's he he is mentally ill. I mean, in the, the title alone, American Psycho, obviously psychopath is a very difficult definition and right. has a very problematic history of portrayals. This film probably did not help anyone who has that diagnosis. But yeah, I, I always think it's a, it's a very interesting take on how, especially that, you know, turn of the century, apathetic, shoving pills into people's mouths and not really dealing with the problem at hand. It's very interesting. And again, it's still relevant. And that's really sad. That That's a, re- that's a really good point. And you mentioned the film Joker earlier. And I think there's a very clear, I was about to say parallel, but really continuation of that idea in that film. Because it's really the same yeah, thing, right? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, you can you can see it like all the way back from, you know, Scorsese, like things like Taxi Driver. We've got this very specifically, and I'm going to say it, male disaffectedness this this male depression this this male cry for help and that's why i kind of think american psycho is not necessarily an an anti-men story i think it's more an anti-misogyny and an anti-patriarchy on a larger scale because these men in in you know joker in taxi driver in american psycho they are still i have to word this really carefully because victims is the wrong word but they are still products of a world that has ignored their very clear mental illnesses right and And i'm not defending them for anyone no right 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 it's not a defense but 
merely like an observation, right? Mm -hmm. Because yes, these characters, and it's easier because these are fictional characters, right? Mm -hmm. But they do have a clear cry for help, which is ignored by the societies they're in. And it's not until the act of violence where the reaction is like, oh, well, they were mentally ill. We should exactly. We should be no. You shouldn't be nice. You should have been nice exactly but the, but there's also you know there's there's a, yeah. a slant of personal responsibility i mean patrick right. for all his mental illness he never he never goes to i mean i can't remember if he does in the book but in the film he never goes to a therapist he never he never right. tries to seek help from anyone for his suffering he just he delves deeper into it and that's why you know i don't want anyone listening to think i'm in any way defending like the violence of mentally ill people um spe- specifically mentally ill disenfranchised men which we're talking about <laughs> but it's nuanced it's a nuanced right. topic yeah. it's neither this nor that there are you know parts of every facet and i think american psychos deals with that very interestingly and also how you know, even at the end, Patrick doesn't get his help. He never gets his help. He just keeps on going in this cycle of hallucinations, possibly of murdering people, possibly of hurting people. Maybe not. Does it even matter at the end of the day? Because he finally does break down and has his cry for help. And then it's just brushed under the table, depending on your interpretation. But I think in all interpretations, he's ignored. Yeah. He, he's not only ignored, he's laughed at. I mean, the guy right. says Patrick Bateman is a loser. Like, he would never do that. And whether the guy knows who he is or not, it's all very blurry at this point. But his, his cry for help is mocked and laughed at. And, you know, you can kind of see, not see his point of view, but you can kind of see like, well, you know what, I tried. And no one cared, so fuck it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep going. I'm gonna keep going on this yeah. cycle if it even happened in the first place, because you know that's the big thing about Americans. Like, did any of it happen? Right. And I, th- I just thought of a really interesting difference between American Psycho and Joker, which I think might be fun to look at. I was not planning on talking about Joker at all. Me I did not either, think it, about it. <laughs> but I, I do think there's a really cool comparison between the two and the fact that Joker is poor mm-hmm. and Patrick Bateman is rich. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Patrick's wealth is very interesting because what does he do? What is his job? Like, we never right. see him work. But yeah, I mean, Joker is... I don't know if, if American Psycho was made now. I don't know if they would choose to have Patrick as a rich person or a poor person. But you're right. It is a very interesting um, difference about how wealth and money can change your experience, but also keep it the same. Uh, I'm not really making sense, but I, I know what I'm thinking in my head. <laughs> well, it's... Well, for me, like, I'm not the biggest fan of the Joker movie, but I do think I do think there are some very good elements to it. And something Mm -hmm. I think that is interesting, at least, is that the Joker character in that movie does cry for help multiple times. And it's not until he does a very public act of violence because he gets away with violence. Mm hmm. But it's not until he does a very public act of violence to where people are like, oh, we should do something. And then he gets yeah. locked up. <laughs> yeah. Which it's not a defense of the Joker, who is probably the most iconic bad guys. Emphasis on the word bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. <Yeah. laughs> um, but like, yeah, no way in, I, am I trying to ever defend the Joker. 
because you know what I mean. But yeah, no, no, I, I get what you mean. Yeah, it, but it, it's yeah. yeah, it's like Patrick's wealth allows him to continue doing these things. I think that's the the big difference right. is that Joker is poor and he's obviously poor, and you know society loves shitting on poor people, chewing them up, right. spitting them out, and eating them. Joker is a product of this society that has done that, whereas Patrick is the society that's done that to joker you know patrick is rich so he can continue murdering people because he exists in this world of money when no nothing matters except money you know he could walk into dorsia and publicly blow someone's brains out and the news cycle would continue after like a week people would forget it because he's in the world of money so you know money makes you it allows you to get away with so much more and it allows you to be invisible when you want to be whereas joker's poverty makes him invisible when he doesn't want to be and when you know he finally snaps again not defending joker but when he finally snaps his poverty is what people focus on right that's absolutely true so yeah, some fun tangents already. Yeah. <laughs> we talked about Joker and They Live. Yes. Um, but that's what happens when you talk about a film like American Psycho, because there is so much to read mm-hmm. into. A lot of times when I do this podcast, it's characters which with multiple films and TV shows and comic books. It's like Jason Voorhees or Alien, right? Mm-hmm. But Patrick Bateman only has the one movie and the one book, which is essentially mm-hmm. the same story. There's so much to this I mean, story. It, it, sorry. No, no, it's okay. I, th- I think it's because we, you know, Patrick Bateman, like we said, Taxi Driver, Joker, yeah. Fight Club. These are all stories about Patrick Bateman. The Patrick Bateman that we know is so identity identityless because he represents a disenfranchised, white, privileged, rich male apathy that is so prevalent in art and has been for you know since people could write um maybe not that far back but you know what I mean and so yeah. I think even though Patrick Bateman is only in one film and one story although he does appear in Brett Easton's other another one of his books and for the life of me I can't remember which one it is it might be less than zero but he has like he he's mentioned in like a throwaway sentence and I think they say something like he's a boring loser or something um mm. it's kind of so, like yeah, a like fun say, cameo he, he, yeah 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 basically it's a, li- yeah. it's a little easter egg but yeah he basically exists only in this universe but his what he means is such a vastly larger problem but what I do always think is interesting about this film as opposed to Fight Club or Joker or anything else like that is that it's directed by a woman and I think people often forget that because you'd be completely fair to assume this is directed by a man because it's a it's a story about men and a man in particular but yeah it is directed by a woman and I'm always interested to hear people's reactions to that (laughs) i think it's brilliant because it's uh i think if american psycho was directed by a man most likely it wouldn't have the bite that this film does Mm -hmm. it would be a little softer on patrick bateman a little more sympathetic i think I agree. I Yeah, I definitely think. And I think, um, I mean, like I said earlier, we do still have the problem of people idolizing Bateman. I think right. it would be more if a, if a man had directed this movie. I think it would people would fall into that trap more. I think the fact that it's right. directed by a woman makes it more obvious that Bateman is not a person you want to be like. Right. 
And the only I'm trying to think because like Joker has sympathy mm-hmm. are the films trying to be sympathetic towards Joker. Mm-hmm. And that was Todd Phillips, you know, mm-hmm. I haven't seen Fight Club in a few years, but if I remember correctly, it's not it's more like American Psycho, where it's not really sympathetic towards Tyler Durden or Edward Norton's character. I forget his name, but still a lot of people don't <laughs> uh, don't get Fight Club <laughs> and they think it's like, oh, yeah, we, we're going to fight. We're tough. Oh, yeah. But funny thought, because Patrick Bateman has a Les Mis poster mm. in his uh, very a sparsely decorated apartment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, do you actually like Les Mis? Or do you just have it because it's one of the most popular musicals I, ever I know. made? And also, also, what's what's funny about that is about, I mean, I okay, secret time. I haven't seen Les Mis, but I know what it's about. <laughs> I know it's right. about, you know, the depths of poverty and trying to climb out of that. What does Patrick Bateman, one of the, you know, he, he's definitely in the top 5% of wealth, if not the top 1% at the time. What does he see in this story like he loves money he it's the only the only thing that's important to him in the book he does talk about Les Mis uh I think he he mentions the character's names a couple of times and he might watch it I can't remember but he he definitely knows about it he knows the story he knows the characters is there a human in there is there a human in Patrick that likes these musicals and secretly wants to climb his way out of this horrible world or does he just love does he just love watching other people in pain and in poverty and gets off on it? Um, I don't know. He might just like it because it's popular. Oh, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's also that. Um, I personally think he can relate to the characters because they also can't get a reservation at Dorgia. <laughs> that uh, famous <laughs> line in Les Mis. I loved it when Anne Hathaway sung that. <laughs> I dreamed a dream of getting a reservation. <laughs> <laughs> but um <laughs> and it's mentioned in the book a lot which that mm-hmm. it could just be a easter egg because i don't remember if they mentioned it in the movie so it could just be an easter egg in the movie acknowledging lame is being featured in the book kind of often <laughs> like it's mentioned a bunch well the, the, again this is the thing like P- patrick bateman's interests are not i guess you know he, things like he loves whitney houston um right. And he gets mocked for that. He He's very, you know, the, the woman he has over, I forget her name, uh, the one that he bites and drugs, uh, mm-hmm. she sleeps with Christy the prostitute. But she laughs at him that he likes Whitney Houston and kind of emasculates him for liking, you know, these ballads. And, you know, Whitney Houston being a very prolific Black woman, like for Patrick Bateman, a a massive racist, misogynist pig to love Whitney Houston is very strange. And it's something I love about his character is that he is, for all his shallowness, there are parts of him that are still harder to read. You know what's a little sad, you pointing that out, that I'm just now realizing? Him liking Whitney Houston, which is probably the most artistically interesting musical artist, no disrespect to Huey Lewis in the news or Genesis. Um, we've done enough Phil Collins trash talk. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I, I love the Tarzan soundtrack, so I'm a huge Phil Collins oh, yeah. fan. <laughs> but you, you'll be in my heart as an absolute banger. Oh, don't I cry every time. <laughs> but but uh, 
Whitney Houston is, I would say she's the most musically interesting of his tastes. Mm-hmm. And that's where he gets made fun of. Yeah. And it's, and, I just yeah. think that's sad. I know. And it's, again, I don't, I don't know if it's, it's part of this whole, this punishment of, of men in Patrick Bateman's world, if they, if they dare to express any form of sensitivity anything that's not you know Patrick Bateman says his only two feelings are greed and disgust and I I don't know if that's true because he does have this very sensitive monologue about you know love and things and are they real are they not do they does you know does Whitney Houston truly mean something to him or is it all just mocking of other humans that he's seen taking their traits and trying to be a normal person you know in a way Patrick Bateman is kind of like an alien like he this film is more like they live than we first (laughs) thought because he doesn't he doesn't know how to be human I mean he has a whole his whole monologue at the beginning of you know that he's some kind of abstraction he's not a human being all he can do is mimic the world around him which is more often than not a very hateful violent and sad world exactly and any opportunity he has to actually feel something it gets repressed Mm -hmm. yeah yeah like society or himself or and i think that's an issue a lot of a lot of men have to deal with where it's like in a lot of places, men aren't allowed to be emotional mm-hmm. and they have to keep everything bottled up. And unfortunately, that leads to violence a lot of times. So mm-hmm. I think Americans, American Psycho is so good. So <laughs> There's good. so much going on. <laughs> it's so good. And yeah, I, I don't know if you've seen the recent Alex Garland film entitled Men. I have not yet. Okay, well, without spoilers, um, mm-hmm. it's a very divisive film. Lots and lots of people hate it. I loved it, personally. I think I'm in the minority there. But um, anyway, a lot of people have watched it and said, oh, this movie is just men bad. And that's all there is to it. Um, and I'm like, it, it's not. It's it's almost men sad. <laughs> it's completely, you know, too black and white. It's, it's not just right. one or the other, but it's... The same thing with American Psycho. I think a lot of people look at it and, and and see a book that is just violence against women. And I I've been told that as a woman I shouldn't enjoy it, which I call bullshit because yeah. it's one of my favorite books and films in the whole world. And I think there's so much more to it than just men bad. It, it's men bad. It's men sad. It's patriarchy bad. But also the the women in this story are often no better i'm not talking about the victims of um you know bateman's violence but um evelyn courtney i mean the the only really sympathetic character is is gene as we talked about and i always wonder why he why patrick chooses to let gene go um i i can't remember if he does say why he does in the in the book but i don't know if it's because he finds her too pathetic or he just doesn't care enough or does he actually have some inkling of feeling for her i'm not sure and i'm not sure patrick is sure either no <laughs> he he's probably doesn't know you know mm-hmm. he might tell himself it's because he likes her you know or he might tell himself well then i'm just gonna have to get a new secretary and she's very good at her job like mm-hmm. it could go either way. Yeah. <laughs> I, but, and I think yeah. more than anything, it, 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 with so much of this book, it doesn't matter. 
I, I always come to this conclusion when I, when I, you know, when I finish it, I'm like, oh my God, did it happen? Did it not happen? Did it happen, but no one cares? Did it happen, but no one can see it? And that I always come to the same conclusion is that it doesn't matter because it continues. Whatever's going on, this cycle continues. It doesn't matter if it's real. It doesn't matter if it's not real. Who cares? You know, the apathy is what you're supposed to take away in some ways. Um, and for that, I love it because it's very rare for a piece of media to get me so hyped up, but also have me so apathetic that I don't care. Right. I mentioned earlier, I didn't like the film when it, when I first watched it. Like I said, I didn't get it. It's been a couple years since I first watched it and watching it just uh, very recently for this episode. I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. And I've only watched it one other time in between. But at that time, I was like, oh, it's actually really good. But now I'm like, no, this is a masterpiece. It so. is. It is. I, I mean, I, obviously, I'm biased because I chose it. But I, I think it's <laughs> um, I think it's held up really, really well. I mean, a lot of 2000s horror is not my favorite. I'll be honest. Um, I, I, I never really got into like the the, the torture porn side. Of the, I, I, I very much like again sounding like an asshole i like foreign films from that time but american mm -hmm. i didn't really kind of gel with and a lot of it i don't think holds up too well but american psycho has held up really well and i don't know if it's because it was set um in the 80s and we're kind of in this whole 80s nostalgia thing right now which i'm not really in love with but yeah it has held up really well um which is sad and scary <laughs> Yeah, I think it's interesting. We were talking much earlier about the fact that American Psycho as a film is not very violent and it comes mm. are graphic. I mean, it's very violent. It's not graphic or gory. Mm -hmm. And it comes just before Saw changed the horror film, yeah. at least in <gasps> at least in Western culture. Saw is like the biggest Amer um, American horror film. Oh, yeah. The changed 2000s. the game. Changed the game yeah. forever. Mm -hmm. American Psycho comes right before that, comes right after Scream and the mm -hmm. mystery teen focused horror films of that time. Mm -hmm. But those two trends are very gory. Scream's a gory film. Obviously mm -hmm. Saw and Hostel. And then the other big trend of the 2000s was like the remake trend with um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Halloween. I'm, I'm sorry, Rob Zombie's Halloween because there are like five different films just called Halloween now. Um, <laughs> but like these iconic horror films with their ultra bloody, violent, gory remakes. American Psycho's in between these two gory trends and it, it itself is not a gory film. No, it's not. I mean, the violence in this film is, is less what you see on screen and more the existence of the film itself. I mean, right. you know, the the way, the the world that Patrick inhabits is violent, just existing in, in this, you know, um, late 80s yuppie New York. Um, I, I think they work on Wall Street. I, I, I'm guessing that's where they work. But that to me, that's the violence to me is, is, is capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's like baby's first take um but it's but it's true it's true yeah. and um you know it's funny because american psycho i don't know if you noticed it does actually have a sequel <laughs> um which is starring mia kunis and 
it's very much that as you spoke about that teen slasher kind of like a urban legend um mm-hmm. cherry falls that kind of feel and i think it's like one of the worst worst rated horror movies of all time rightfully so because this film doesn't need a sequel and patrick's right. christian bale's not even in it then what's the point <laughs> oh no i uh, know uh, because because it was in that remake it was in that recall that sequel trend like you mentioned right. um and something i often think about with this movie and especially given our current remake obsessed society will they remake american psycho i'm just every day i'm waiting i'm like on edge biting my nails like is today the day but i i almost think maybe it's too sacred i mean i say that but they remade halloween (laughs) yeah yeah no i don't think any horror film is too sacred to be remade Mm -hmm. i think the only one that won't be remade and it's not because it's too sacred i mean it's sacred to me but i think the it's just because you hear the horror stories of making it and i'm thinking of jaws oh yeah oh yeah but didn't they try oh they did like sequels i mean sequels to me don't count as you know because they're just like there's no way anyone's going to remake jaws no way no i mean it would be a death sentence like literally you would never have a career again yeah it's a career suicide and i mean i do think there is a good remake out there in the universe for that film but who in their right mind is going to tackle steven spielberg no no. At his, I don't want to say at his prime because that man doesn't miss. But um, it's not it's not just trying to remake Steven Spielberg with iconic performances mm-hmm. with Roy Scheider, Richard Dreyfus, and Robert Shaw. Mm-hmm. It's shooting on the ocean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, what? it wouldn't. It would. It would be CGI now anyway. They would never make the shot. Like they just wouldn't do it. That's that's true. You're right. But I think everyone deep down knows. You can't do CGI with Jaws. No, you can't. I mean, I often like ask people like, are there any horror? Because, you know, people in horror, like we're always fighting about stuff. Like, oh, this is good and this is bad. (laughs) Like the three universally loved horror movies. And I have not met anyone who doesn't like these three horror movies. If you do, you're a freak. Um, Jaws (laughs) is number one. Number two is The Thing. And number three is The Exorcist. Those three films, to me at least, and I'm sure like 99% of film fans, not just horror fans, think they are perfect films. They they will not and cannot be touched. But they will be. I have an argument for one of them. Oh, no. <laughs> it's a film I love. It's a film I love. Don't get me wrong. It's funny because when I had our mutual fan, Van, uh, mutual friend, <laughs> when I had our mutual friend Vanna on the show, uh, we talked about our 10, our top 10 horror movies. Mm-hmm. And for me, I put The Thing as mm-hmm. one of mine. I think that film will be remade. I'll tell you why for me personally is because, well, it is a remake. <laughs> yeah, 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 so yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> so, you got me. <laughs> I mean, 80s remakes of 50s horror films are amazing mm-hmm. for the whatever blob. reason. Mm-hmm. The Thing, The Blob, The Fly. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, those 80s remakes knew how to be remakes. Yeah, they were hitting it. Yeah, and this is 78, but I'm going to put it in the same family, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason- Yeah, like, that's a trend. Yeah. I never thought about that before. 
Yeah, your sci-fi horror 80s, 50s remakes. <laughs> Love that. Um, but I think part of the reason why those films are so good and a lot of them have a bigger imp- uh, cultural impact than their 50s originals is because the reason why they were remade, they weren't remade for money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 were- yeah. It was love of it. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I think a lot of the 2000s remakes failed and a mm-hmm. lot of them aren't very good is because they were made for money. Mm-hmm. And that's not shade at the filmmakers, because I think a lot of those films, the filmmakers did try to make something cool or mm-hmm. something like they were trying to make a good film that honored the original. But when it's so clear that a studio was making something to print money, mm-hmm. it's hard to shake that no matter how hard the filmmaker tries. Oh, yeah. There's a couple of recent films this year that uh, I thought were pretty obvious in that. <laughs> um, one of them rhymes with Morphin Merced Mill. Um <laughs> I'm not going to say any more on that, but yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, and I, I think that's why I think if they did remake American Psycho, like you said, it would not be for love of the craft. It would right. be uh, let's remake American Psycho because it'll get us money. It doesn't need to be remade. It's perfect as it is. And also who's going to fucking beat Christian Bale? Good luck. Like that, that is, I that get is it. like, I, I can't, I can't see anyone else in the role of Christian Bale. There's something very sinister about that man. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, he, he physically, he was perfect. He was absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Chiseled Greek, Greek God style. But there's, there's a blankness to Christian Bale. There's, 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 there is a, an insidiousness. And I am sure he's a nice guy. I mean, he did have that outburst with the lights a long time ago. But that was I, a long time ago. And that that's like the only thing I've, yeah. you're allowed to I, get I, angry once in a while. Well, exactly. And I think it was not a good look, but (laughs) no, I I mean, I'm very sorry if if I'm saying this and Christian Bell has done something terrible. I'm not aware of it right now. If I am saying that he's a great guy and he's not, then please do tell me. But um, I was very deep in a Christian Bale obsession when I was uh, when I first watched this film, like true. I had a framed picture of him. Uh, next to my bed and I had like 10 other posters of him and I tried to watch like every movie he'd ever been in even like the shitty dragon one with Matthew McConaughey called Reign of Fire and I just think he's he's you know that I don't I don't see there's no other actor that I can think of off the top of my head who would make a great Christian Bell and I'm just having like panic attacks imagining them casting like I don't know like Chris uh Chris Pratt or, or something <laughs> like that just happened like I, I I can't like it actually it makes me sweat if I if I think about it too much that's that's funny um <laughs> well it's like I do th- the thing with American Psycho which I think kind of protects it is it's not really a mainstream hit I know it's been mm-hmm. memed to death but it's like a cult movie yeah yeah, definitely. Um, I, and, I, I still know people yeah. who haven't seen it. And I think what kind of protects it from re- from ever being remade is I don't think a studio will know how to market it. I don't think the original made money. I think that kind of protects American Psycho a bit is I don't think it would be smart financially to remake it. I agree. And I also don't think, I, I, and again, not to agree with Brett Easton Ellis, but I don't think people would... 
appreciate a film coming out now about a white upper class very rich man who murders and rapes women in very extreme detail i don't think it would even if it was a satire as it originally is i don't think it would go down well i don't think people would like it in all fairness, people didn't like it when it came out, so oh, exactly. they might like it in 20 minutes, <laughs> in 20 years. So <laughs> exactly, exactly. But um, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. So I do think what saves American Psycho f- from being remade is I don't think it'll make money. <laughs> no, I think we. So I, mean, I hope whoop, that we can relax. Yes, although I do have kind of a fan casting of Patrick Bateman, which doesn't make sense. It wouldn't work, but I think the actor could pull it off. And the reason why it wouldn't work is because the actor's not white. So he can never play Patrick Bateman. It's one of those very, very rare roles where Patrick Bateman has to be white or else the character can't. Uh, And that's a whole different conversation. Um, But yeah, no, you're completely right. And it's it's not like... um... It's not like one of those things where, you know, like the new Lord of the Rings where people are like, oh, they, everyone has to be white. No, they don't. It's, it's you know, it's not real. Patrick's right. whiteness is his character and not in a good way. Um, But yeah, sorry, right. carry on. Who is it? I really like the idea of Stephen Yen. <gasps> yes. I think he could pull yes. off a Patrick Bateman performance. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. I see it and I'm here. Have you seen the film Burning? No. Um, it's a Korean film. I th- oh my gosh, the the director I think is Lee Chang Don. Um, but in Burning, I'm just gonna check um, who the director is. He he kind of plays um, Lee Chang Don. Yeah. Um, he mm-hmm. plays a Patrick Bateman esque character. I mean, it's it's set in Seoul, and it's not you know it's nothing about yuppies or anything. And I'm not gonna spoil it, but he he's got an emotionless stance to him it's a really great film and now that you've said that i literally can't think of anything else <laughs> like i need Simeon as i need it now i need it yesterday well i just think he along with christian bale is one of the greatest actors alive mm-hmm. and like christian bale was just in the new thor movie which was mm-hmm. all right if you like marvel movies i thought it was fun but i don't know it's not gonna make, gonna make my top 10 of the year or anything mm-hmm. like that he was the best part about that movie because he's Christian Bale, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, back to Stephen Yen, Jordan Peele's new film. Nope. I'm yes, glad yes. you're a fan. I love that film. But Stephen Yen's character in that is what leads me to believe he can pull off a Patrick Bateman. Yeah, because oh, yeah. if you haven't seen Nope, I'm going to spoil some of it right mm-hmm. now, maybe depending on how I word it. But if you haven't seen Nope, you're doing yourself a disservice. Go see Nope. It's amazing. And if you don't like it, go see it again because it's amazing. And it's okay if you don't like I was like, oh, it's fine. The first time I watched it. Same. Is this like a universal thing? Because everyone I said was like, go and watch it again. And I did. And I loved it. I've seen it three times. And it's like my second. (laughs) It's like my second favorite film of the year at the moment. Mm. And I don't know if it's going to give up that that spot. You know what I mean? It might it might go up to number one. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure but I'm it's safe in the top three at the very least mm-hmm. there, cause there's a lot of year left, but Steven Yen's character, uh, Jupiter, um, Jupiter park, I think. Yeah. Well, I I forget. Th- apparently his name is Ricky. Apparently. His oh, name, it, his, well, Jupiter's never, like the stage yeah, name, Jupiter's right? Like his stage yeah. name, but I never heard them say Ricky, but apparently that is his name, but yeah, Jupe. 
that is a character that is all is like Patrick Bateman is all a persona. He's yes. acting his whole life. Mm-hmm. And deep down, he's a traumatized kid. Yeah. OK. I, yeah, I'm here. I'm here for that. Yeah. I think I, as yeah. yeah as dupe as well there's there's a there's a, a blankness because obviously dupe has put up this wall to protect himself from what happened with Gordy but yeah no I can see it and the suit I mean we saw him in his cowboy suit but I, yeah. that man can wear a suit I tell you that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. have you ever seen the film it's on Shutter called Mayhem no but it's on my list because it has it's, him in it it's really fun all that to say he 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 looks good in a suit because <laughs> yeah, he plays he like is. a slimy lawyer <laughs> oh really good. that's kind so, of Bateman-esque I mean yeah he, he could do it for sure if they ever want to remake it with Steven Yeun I would not want to see a remake but I would be down for that yeah it would have to be very different yes but I, I do think it could burning, exist yeah watch watch burning yeah and that might quench your thirst for Steven Yeun as Patrick Bateman cool i i'm definitely adding that to the list you want you ready for a hot take of yeah a controversial opinion very unpopular one go ahead i am a defender of remakes okay okay i'm 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 not mad about (laughs) it (laughs) you're you're biting your tongue you're you're i'm sure you're clenching your fist right now (laughs) i'm interested i'm interested to know your reasons let's just say that my reasoning as a defender of remakes, and that doesn't mean all of them are good, but I do think there is artistic reasoning for remakes to exist. It uh, it just depends on the filmmaker. I'm not a fan of remakes that are studios like, well, we have the property. Let's milk some mm-hmm. more money out of it. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I hate throwing shade at films because like people work hard on them, but I'm thinking mm-hmm. of films like 2014's RoboCop. Mm-hmm. Are 2010's A Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. These are movies that were made to print money. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. have this iconic character, this beloved property, haven't done anything with it in a while. Let's print some cash, mm-hmm. you know? Those movies aren't good, um, no matter how hard those filmmakers try because they are dealt a losing hand. It's different mm-hmm. for every film, but even those films, I think, have a positive because while it pisses off a lot of the fan base and just general audiences, mm-hmm. whenever those films come out, they always do a re-release, at least on home video, or there's new merchandise, or there's new, there's always renewed interest in the original film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And people get to yeah. see it who haven't seen it already. Mm-hmm. Right. So when RoboCop came out, there was a lot of sudden love for the original RoboCop again. Mm-hmm. Um, not that RoboCop went anywhere. I'm a huge RoboCop fan. And that's also an 80s satire with a bunch of cocaine. Um, oh, yeah, in case you wanted your RoboCop American Psycho comparison. <laughs> and like, same thing with The Nightmare on Elm Street. I don't think a lot of people liked that movie. But it did mm-hmm. renew the interest in the original films which that was 2010 the last freddy movie was the freddy versus jason right Mm -hmm. so the freddy krueger character gets renewed life and then people are like oh yeah the robert england freddy krueger that guy is awesome and sometimes there are good remakes like 
I'm a big fan of the Evil Dead remake. Oh, me too. That's fucking nasty. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. For me, I find that movie terrifying. <laughs> uh, yeah, and that that movie works as a remake because it takes it. I don't like remakes that just try and make the same movie. That's boring to right. me. Like they took all the gore and nasty because Evil Dead is fun. It's a cute yeah. fun. It's camp. The new one was just fucking mean spirited, and I love that. It was bitter. It was nasty. It was cruel, and. It had no humor, and I love right. that. Like, it was a great take on an already iconic story. And it helps that, like, Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell helped produce the remake. Exactly. That it has it like, has the like the kiss of approval from you know the original people. I I think like also as well. I'm I, I'm not I'm not a remake hater. Um, I think there's merit in um remaking certain films. Um, I'm thinking like recently the new the new Candyman, um which i know wasn't a remake it was i guess a sequel or kind of remake but um it's like that original, requel yeah, yeah 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 the original Candyman is a perfect perfect movie um agreed but i think having it having the story given to a black person a black director naya da costa um you know jordan peele produced that's really important because Candyman is like a it's a black story it's it's a story about black lives um, and black communities and giving it to Naya da Costa was really, I think a really good move because we got a whole new take on, you know, what was originally a black story, um, not in the book, of course, but in the original right. film. And like in the new Hellraiser as well, um, I know people are very upset about the casting of Jamie Clayton as Pinhead, who is a trans woman, but you know, that's closer to like the original text because Pinhead in the original is, is like a, a genderless being or, you know, described as an androgynous being that transcends gender. So having, you know, a trans woman play Pinhead is actually fucking fantastic. <laughs> like, so I right. think in that kind of, you know, way, giving, giving, different takes on on stories or, or taking parts of them that they originally fit different demographics of people is really good i just don't like it when it's let's take this for my, my biggest beef is when it's foreign remakes and it, yeah. it, 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 let, it let's remake the film with white people and in english because that does not fly like that's that's lazy right and it has to be the only way i see that working because i have seen it work once is when you have a filmmaker that is really really good at making films putting their mm -hmm. artistic heart and soul into it because mm -hmm. gore verbinski's the ring i knew you were gonna say that. yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. Knew you were gonna say, I was like he's gonna say gore verbinski he's gonna say gore verbinski but that, um, that's like the only example i can think of that transcends no, no, that the ring is 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 a a, a good a remake i mean we spoke about this earlier i'm a jr purist and yeah. the ring will never be ring to me but i think i think in that case bringing that story to a western audience was really a really cool thing to do because japanese films are hard to get hold of by their nature yes. they don't get released a lot of them don't get released in uh the quote-unquote west you can't find these films easily especially if you don't speak japanese so gore verbinski taking that story and being like hey guys look at what japan is doing this is fucking nuts get involved and that renewed a whole generation of people who had never 
seen films like that, myself included, I did see the Japanese version before the American one, but it was because of the American one that I knew the Japanese one existed. Right. Which is, you know, to, in my mind, there's nothing negative about that. It's when you start remaking them for no other reason than we don't want to read subtitles. <laughs> it kind of upsets Yeah, me. and The Ring did start that trend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Because after The Ring, you get The Grudge, you get, mm-hmm. which I don't think The Grudge is a bad movie. Um, no, the, the American Grudge is scary. That because that, that one's still, that one's still trying. But it's also, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that, isn't that like the Japanese director? Yeah, yeah, of yeah. The original? Getting to, yeah, because yeah, uh-huh. yeah. I think Sam Raimi produced that one. He can do no wrong. So he's like, hey, you want American money? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And I think when you when that's the case, when it's like, listen, you made this great film in your country of origin, we would like you to redo it for our American audience. Here's American money and a whole like whole new world of opportunities. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of filmmakers are down for the artistic challenge and the economic prospect Uh, Oh, yeah. 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 And, you know, who can fold them? That that money is is very tempting. And again, something like Juon, The Grudge, uh, which the Japanese one is in my top 10 favorite films Mm -hmm. of all time. And I did prepare a list. uh, Again, it's a film that without the version with Sarah Michelle Gellar, you know, there are people who would never maybe never have heard of this film and never have been exposed to the beauty of Japanese horror. And for so many people like myself, I, I use the American one as a jumping off point. And now you couldn't get me to watch an American remake of a Japanese film, but it doesn't matter because right. because I got there through the remake. So I can never like fully shit on remakes. Um, and I've just learned that about myself now by saying <laughs> it. So thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. All that, all that to remind people, look, I'm not happy about a Train to Busan remake coming out either. But at the end of the day, it's just going to make us love that original Train to Busan more. Exactly. Exactly. And it's going to expose a lot new people to it. Mm -hmm. And I, if I remember correctly, I think James Wan is producing the remake. So I, I don't know if James Wan is producing it, but the direct, it's being directed by Timo, Timo, uh, I really can't say his name and I'm so sorry. Timo Chajanto. I'm not sure if that's how you say it. He's an Indonesian director. He, uh, Mm -hmm. directed, um, May the Devil Take You, which is a fucking scary movie. And if you've seen VHS 2, he did the, uh, Safe Haven segment, which is again, fucking scary. He's Mm -hmm. a good director and he's scary. He knows what scary means. So I'm going to hold out on judging the Train to Busan remake. Uh, The original is perfect to me and I love it, but I'm going to wait before I get angry about it. And I'm just excited that this director, who I'm not going to attempt to say his name, I'm sorry, but I'm going to butcher it way worse. Um, (laughs) And on the off chance he listens to this, I don't want to offend with my horrible <laughs> saying, uh, but because it's like a name I've only read. I've never heard. I have no clue, mm-hmm. but it gives him the opportunity to work with American money and mm-hmm. we'll hold out judgment for the Train to Busan remake. But at the end of the day, he's going to get more opportunities mm-hmm. because of it. And it's just a huge exactly. game changer for his career. An Indonesian mm-hmm. filmmaker who's about to go international. That's awesome. 
yeah that that is very cool I, that's why i said like I, i'm not too mad about train to busan we'll see how good it is <laughs> it's hard because train to busan is a perfect movie it is it is that and already also, has international appeal <laughs> well exactly and also i don't know I mean, does the states even have a high, like a high rail, like a fast train that goes through? No. They're going to be on the subway because we already had the sadness, which was. I I don't know what they're going to do because most Americans get by in our cars Mm -hmm. and there's highway. So it's like, because we're very rugged individualists here. (laughs) Um. Which brings us back to American Psycho. But um, <laughs> nice. but I, I don't know how they're going to do it. I mean, I, I, I guess the subway, there is a subway system in New York. Okay. I've been to New York, New York once when I was in middle school. I don't really remember. So. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll see. And it's the funny thing about the United States is it's so fucking massive. Mate, you're telling me I'm from <laughs> England. And I, I got to, well, before I went to LA, my boyfriend was like, you're not going to walk anywhere. You know that, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like, I, I guess people are just lazy. No, <laughs> you can't walk anywhere because yeah. it's too big. You can't get yeah. anywhere because everything's so fucking huge. You know, in the UK, you can walk around my, my entire town in 15 minutes because it's so tiny. But everything in this, I, and you can't, for, for English people listening, you cannot wrap your head around how big America is until you've been there. Like, you truly can't. And, like, there's so many cultural differences within the same country. Mm-hmm. I'm Midwestern Detroit boy. If I were to, I've never been to L.A. <laughs> it blows my mind every time I'm in Florida because your boy likes to go to Disney World. Sue me. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> But it's like sometimes going to a different state is like going to a different country. Well, literally, in terms of size and time it takes to get there, it literally is. I mean, you know, think, in Europe, yeah. you can drive across three countries in a day. Like you can't even get across one state in a day. It's it's yeah. ugh, so big. And I think people forget even people that live in the, I, for, I forget that a lot of times. <laughs> I'm going to pivot the conversation a little bit. I'm very interested to know what are your top 10 favorite horror movies? <laughs> oh, so I literally, I made a list on Letterboxd because I was so sick of being asked, not sick of the question, but sick of the yeah. fact that I didn't know how to answer it. Because every time someone asks me, it, I'm like, oh, I don't know. So I have, I have a top 10. It's not in order and it's not exclusive. And the minute I say it, I'm going to be annoyed at myself when I listen back that I left something up. But anyway, um, I get it. <laughs> let me pull up that list just a second. So oh, no worries. foremost, um, the film that I always class as my favorite is uh, Tetsuo the Iron Man, which is a Japanese cyberpunk movie from 1989 by a director called Shinya Sukumoto. It's horrible. It's a great <laughs> film. <laughs> uh, if you're into like body horror, and like like that Cronenberg blend of flesh and metal, the Iron Man is the one for you. Next, we have Possession, which is a 1981 film by Andre Zulovsky, who I've definitely butchered his name. Fun fact, me and Vanna recorded a podcast for my podcast about this film, so that will be coming. Next, uh, American Psycho is Ooh. one of my top 10 favorite films of all time. Um, next, they have the original Jew on, Jew on the Grudge, 
from 2002 by Takashi Shimizu. Now, I'm not going to go off on a tangent about this because it's dumb, but The Grudge has like a million sequels and prequels and remakes in Japan and half of them suck and I love them all very dearly. (laughs) (laughs) They're all my children. Um, (laughs) Next is a film called Funny Games by a Austrian director called Michael Haneke from 1997, which does have an American remake. Funny, we talked about that. Yeah. It's the same director. He remade it shot for shot, just changed the language, which I, I don't know how I feel about that. But anyway, um, <laughs> next is uh, Titan by Julia Ducono, which is my most recent favorite horror. That came out last, last year, right? Year. Yeah, yeah, that's very year. recent. And it, it blew my mind. I absolutely loved it. It made me cry. It made me... It, it made me scared it made me think about uh, my gender like everything like fucking blew me away i love that i can't remember how many we're on now i think uh, that was six six next is a film called noroi the curse which is one of the scariest found footage movies uh it's japanese again most of the stuff on my list is japanese uh by oh, yeah. koji shirashi it's fucking terrifying it's very scary <laughs> <laughs> Uh, next is Old Boy, which is not a horror film. The Korean original version by Park Chanuk, which is one of the saddest and most disturbing films I've ever seen. And then my final slot, I honestly can't pick. So I'm just going to throw some out there. Okay. Also, like, which is uh, The Wicker Man. Um, the original, I'm assuming. Oh, yes. <laughs> Yes, don't be silly, darling. I'm a British person. Um, <laughs> 28 Days Later, which is a fucking great piece of British horror. Mulholland Drive by David Lynch. Mm. Creep 2, starring Mark Duplass. Um, okay. Which I just love. Um, the Lighthouse by Robert Eggers and uh, Jacob's Ladder. Oh, that's film. a movie. Yeah. Oh, and The Evil Dead, the original one. I'm so sorry. That was way more than 10. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were very prepared. I was, and yes. I appreciate it. Because I'll I'll talk about my top 10 all the time, but I have a list of like my 31 horror films. <laughs> so I'd figure one for each day in the month of October. I like, love that. Yeah, I love that. That's a good idea. I might have to steal that. and you get to fit in a lot more horror movies but i do i i think that's a great list i definitely gonna add some to my i'm gonna follow you on letterbox and add some of those films to my watch list and then you can follow me back and read my dumb takes on movies (laughs) i love dumb takes of course (laughs) i got plenty of them but um uh, i think that's a I think that's a great list. I've gone over my top 10 a couple times this podcast, but for anyone listening that hasn't gone over, I will share again. (laughs) I love to. Number one is I'm going to exclude from the list and put in a different number one because my number one favorite film of all time is a horror movie, but Mm -hmm. I never put it in my top 10 horror movies because I don't think that's fair. Okay. And I'll get into it a little bit, but my number one favorite movie of all time is Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah. And that movie, there's a lot of gatekeeping around it about being a horror movie because Mm -hmm. it's not necessarily scary. I I get it, but like dinosaurs are scary. The raptors are horror monsters. (laughs) 
There are horror themes. I just think it's a kid-friendly horror movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a great, it's a great like introduction to, to fear. Yeah, exactly. And there is a, a lot of tonal shifts in it, so it's not always horror. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's adventure. It's definitely sci-fi. Like, it's 100% yeah. a sci-fi movie. Mm-hmm. But um, it's also a horror. It's also adventure. It's kind of a crime thriller, if you look at it a certain way. Okay. There's okay. corporate espionage, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but um, okay. I, I can see it, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I always exclude it from my top 10 because it's also my favorite sci-fi movie. It's also my favorite, like, it's just my favorite movie. So I want to give that, and everyone, and I introduce myself. Hi, my name's Austin. My favorite movie is Jurassic Park. You know what <laughs> I mean? So I exclude it from other top 10 lists because that's just not fair. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So real quickly, my top 10 is my number one is Alien. Thank you. My number two is Jaws. Again, (laughs) I'm chef's kissing for everyone who can't see. (laughs) My number three is, you know, I don't have my list pulled up right now. So if there's any changes, call me out. But my number three is Scream. Okay. I'm a huge Wes Craven fan, and I mm-hmm. and Scream was very influential to me in high school. My mm. number four is John Carpenter's Halloween. Mm-hmm. A my number f- film. Oh, thank you, thank you. Like I made it. I'm saying thank you, like I made it. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, oh, it's nothing. <laughs> uh, my number five is Candyman. Yeah, that movie blew me away, and I first mm-hmm. watched it in 2019. Yeah, 2019. Great fucking movie. Tony Todd. Yeah. Oh, gorge. He is one of my favorite actors. Yeah. And I actually met him at a horror film convention. <gasps> I got Jealous. my picture with him. And oh it my is, God. It, he is so cool in real life. Is he like really like, tall? Like, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm I'll have to, I'll have to share, share my picture with him with you. I'll show yeah, you that sometime. Yeah. Um, I'm 5'11". Mm-hmm. I do not look 5'11 in the picture. (laughs) (laughs) But um, he is an incredibly kind man. And I, these horror conventions, he's meeting a thousand people a day. Mm -hmm. Yet he still made me feel like he was genuinely interested in talking to me. You know what I mean? I love that. And I also, I love an actor who's, who's like, not, not that Candyman is Tony Todd's only role by any means, but that's like arguably his most famous role. And like a lot of actors sometimes are like, oh, I'm sick of doing that or, you know, showing up as that person. But, you know, people like Tony Todd, Bruce Campbell, um, these these are guys that are always out here. You know, they must have seen cosplays and heard every joke about their movies and they're still showing up at all these cons. Yeah. In character. And I just I love that. I think that's so that's so like devastatingly lovely. And it's like I feel bad because like I know he has to write be my victim (laughs) a thousand times a day on all the autographs. And I still asked him to write be my victim when I asked what what else are you gonna do? You know what I mean? I uh I did think about I did think about having him sign I'll see you soon from Final Destination. Because that's a oh. iconic line. I, I think it's so fun. But um, my mm-hmm. when I told my mom that idea, she's like, "You're doing be my victim. <laughs> you're like, you're meeting yeah, him you for have, a certain. You have to. Yeah, you, you have, have to. to. 
So I'm like, yeah, you're right. So I love Tony Todd. Everyone should love Tony Todd. He's amazing. <laughs> my number six is Predator. Mm-hmm. I love my 80s muscle-bound, testosterone-heavy yeah, action of the movies. Classics from the 80s here. <laughs> and um, I, I love monsters. I think it's my third monster movie on the list. Yeah, mm-hmm. behind Alien and Jaws. My number seven, mm-hmm. I'm going to put American Werewolf in London. Mm-hmm. Another monster movie. Yep, great creature feature. At number eight, I'm going to put The Ring. American one. Yeah. Although, I to be... <laughs> Although, to be perfectly honest, I could switch it out with the Japanese one. Mm-hmm. I think they are both brilliant films. Yeah, they are. Mm-hmm. But I grew up with The Ring. I didn't grow up with Ring. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that's that and Naomi, Watt, uh, Naomi Watts are the difference makers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... <laughs> That's why I'm picking the American version only by a by a hair. Okay. But I do consider the Japanese. I'm not giving the Japanese version its own slot. I'm gonna put an asterisk by the ring like, like and a, say yeah, okay, like a slot. Like the original is also here too. Okay. Because I I think they're both equ- equally brilliant, and I don't mm-hmm. think one is better than the other. Mm-hmm. I think they are both masterpieces different ways yeah number nine and number 10 are gonna be both john carpenter films but number nine i'm gonna put in christine i haven't seen christine i love it i haven't seen it and it's one of those movies where no one ever says it's their favorite john carpenter film or their favorite stephen king Mm -hmm. (laughs) but i think it's so good and I think John Carpenter doesn't like it. I think I've read him say like, eh, it was fine. I did it for a job. (laughs) And I'm like, well, your job (laughs) like really inspired me. So I know like like, that. Yeah. It's like even the worst John Carpenter movie is still better than like 99% of other movies. Yeah. So I'm a huge fan of Christine. I think it's Mm -hmm. great. And at number 10, I'm going to put in John Carpenter's um, The Thing. Mm-hmm. I almost said The Ring. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been a very different ring. Oh, yeah. But I, I love The Thing. I think it's great. It's also like American Psycho, a movie I did not like at first, but I had to grow into it. But I grew oh, no, up. It's a, it's, I mean, it's a perfect movie. I would pretty much agree. Um, mm-hmm. I do have two John Carpenter films ahead of it. but um john carpenter is amazing so and then because you did some honorable mentions i'm gonna do some honorable mentions for me Mm -hmm. (laughs) didn't think about it ahead of time so i'm just gonna give shout outs to evil dead 2 oh yeah because i think that film is brilliant i think you can tell i like my horror comedies <laughs> yes. With Scream being very high and American mm-hmm. Werewolf as well. I like horror comedies or comedic horror films that are like horror movies first, but they're really, really funny, if that makes sense. Uh huh. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a hard line to do, but when you get it right, you get it right. Right. So I, I like movies like that. I'm also going to give shout outs to 10 Cloverfield Lane. Oh, okay. I love that movie. I think it was one of the best films of the 2010s. Mm-hmm. Misery, 
I'm going to put really high oh, up. Oh, yes. Kathy it's Jane. so good. Rest in peace, James Caan. I'm oh, still yeah. I'm still really sad about that because yeah, that he's hard. amazing. A Nightmare, the original A Nightmare on Elm Street mm-hmm. is really high for me. And I'm going to shout out Poltergeist. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Another classic. Yeah. I, I didn't have anything by a Toby Hooper on there. So him collaborating with Spielberg, it's like, okay, yep. that's right up my alley. Spielberg's- Oh, it's, it's I, a great film. I think you could tell Spielberg's my favorite filmmaker. <laughs> I, mean, but, I mean, like, okay, my favorite Spielberg is, is it's Duel. Yes. Duel is so good. It's so good. And no one talks about it as like one of the scariest horror movies ever. It's fucking terrifying. Oh, I, I'll talk about Duel with you. Duel is amazing. <laughs> Okay, like, well, maybe we could go into Duel, you know, I think we need another, like, full hour to talk about Duel. We'll, we'll, well go we, into Duel another time. You'll be back on the show. We'll we'll talk about Duel in a we'll little do bit. A, we'll do a Duel on Duel. A Duel on Duel. I love it. <laughs> but, um, no, like, how dare this man come out of the gates with one of the best, like, horror films of all time? Only to basically yeah, immediately man. come out with the greatest horror movie of all time in Jaws. <laughs> and um, I say greatest because I think there's a lot of arguments for best horror film of all time that I don't want to get into because that's very mm-hmm. subjective, you know. But with greatest, mm-hmm. I don't think you can deny that Jaws is probably the most popular horror film of all time that literally changed mm-hmm the filmmaking industry. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that is like the definition of great film. I do too. I very much agree. But in terms of best, I might go with The Exorcist. Yes. Another another perfect film. Yes. I'm not going to put it as one of my favorites because I've watched it twice. And the mm-hmm. first time I watched it, I was a high schooler hanging out with a bunch of high schoolers but we weren't really paying attention to it. So we weren't getting Mm -hmm. scared because we were being dumb high schoolers. (laughs) And we turned it off halfway through and put on Scream 3 instead because that was more, that was more our uh, attention level, you know? Uh, Uh, No shade to Scream 3. I like Scream 3, (laughs) but it's a, it's a, it's not the same caliber as The Exorcist. Mm -mm. Um, And I watched The Exorcist when I was in college by myself at night because I I was cocky and I was thinking about when we tried it you know but it's a lot different when you're by yourself and you're actually paying attention to it it's it's a a fucking scary film I don't want to watch it again I'm too scared (laughs) (laughs) so um so I'm like no it's an amazing film it's brilliant and I think it might be the best I can't put it as my favorites because it I don't want to rewatch it (laughs) So, um, no, that's fair enough. That's if I'm defining best as scariest, you know what I mean? Although there's a lot of mm-hmm. amazing craft and performance in there, but like, there's so many arguments for what I the agree. best horror film could be. I'm, I think Texas Chainsaw deserves Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original, not any of the other films called Texas Chainsaw or Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but like the original one, I think. Me too. Yeah. I'm trying to think of other ones that could like Psycho. I'm a huge fan of Psycho. Mm -hmm. I agree. And Tangent, which is 
not really related to th this conversation, but actually related to Patrick Bateman, the topic of today's episode. <laughs> I have a question for you. Okay. Do you think part of the American Psycho not really doing well at, because it didn't do well at the box office, if I remember correctly. I, I mean, no, not massively, I don't think. Do you think it would have gotten a better critical or financial reception if it was named something else? Because I do think the name American Psycho, you think a psycho. Um, I, I think maybe, but I think the name American Psycho is integral to, you know, America. No offense, um, I'm sure <laughs> none taken, but the, the, the America is the psycho in i mean patrick right. bateman is obviously the psycho but the the, the late stage capitalist hellhole of 80s america uh, my history of america isn't great current if i'm wrong this is like a time of like uh, and um you know the disgusting way that things like the aids pandemic were dealt with um you know america is the psycho in this it's it's a a, a world that takes its vulnerable people and spits them out and i, I am please don't ever think I'm saying that in defense of my own country because ugh, I'm fucking British. Like, <laughs> well, I got no skin in the game. But I think the title of American Psycho is integral to what it means. But yeah, I, I think you're right. I think when you think Psycho, people were probably expecting like, you know, a Michael Myers or Jason kind of slasher type thing. So yeah, probably. The, that word Psycho, if you're going to use it in like a film title, that's going to cause a lot of people to think of Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, some people maybe thought it was like going to be a take on that, or which, which you know, it's not dissimilar. There, are, there are themes of you know disenfranchised, disenfranchised and lost men in both of them, right. uh, with inappropriate relationships with women in both of them. Um, so they're not massively dissimilar, but I think the term Psycho means something different in both of them but i i'm not sure if again sound like an asshole i'm not sure if most people would get that oh that no that's fair <laughs> that is definitely fair but uh <laughs> but it's like it, it i do think it's interesting to think about because something like there's i think some nods to the older slashers in both the book mm. and the movie like in the movie he's doing ab crunches to, yeah, while to watching texas chainsaw yeah and mm. then his name is Patrick Bateman. Yeah. Like that, that's a nod to Norman Bates. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, th I mean, I, I, I don't know much about Brett Easton Ellis, but I, I don't think it would be too much of a stretch to say he's a horror fan. Uh, you know, he writes horrific books and horrific stories. So yeah, I mean, you can, you can tell there are threads of horror love running throughout it. Um, but yeah, definitely. And I, I just, I just think that is really interesting to kind of compare American Psycho with Psycho because you're right there are through lines between those two as well and I think there is a somewhat never mind um because I I as I'm thinking about it, I'm like the second I say this out loud I'm going to realize no this isn't true at all but I was originally <laughs> going to say I think there is a physical similarity between Patrick Bateman and Norman Bates um, but there's not, not dissimilar. I mean, 
Norman Bates is like a scrawny. <laughs> well, they're both they're both handsome white guys with good haircuts. I mean, yeah, Patrick Bateman is built, but the whole point of Patrick Bateman is he could look like anyone. He has no defining features. He's that's uh, true. And I, I'm not saying anything bad about Christian Bale. Is obviously incredibly handsome. So was Anthony right. Perkins, but Bateman is is nothing. He's no one. He's blank. Um, he's handsome, but you know you couldn't name a distinguishing feature. Right. Okay. Thank you for making me sound smart. I appreciate that. <laughs> it's okay. It's, but, it's uh, what I do. <laughs> but um, I think something interesting about that is um, we talked about that iconic scene of him kind of like going through his morning routine mm-hmm. a bit. And then I'm sure a lot of people have already pointed this out. But when he's taking off like that face mask, mm-hmm. that's like him unmasking himself to throw to show his true self but then there, it's just nothing <laughs> yeah it's i mean it's peeling back layers um but there's nothing underneath it's it's completely you know he has nothing to him and it's i think that's so cool we were talking earlier that he has that lay Miz poster mm-hmm. i wonder if it would have been funny i mean i think lay Miz was the right choice to go but in an alternate universe i wonder if he has a phantom of the opera i think it would poster. yeah i mean it would work just as well because there's then that lends itself to the reading of masks, which a lot of horror icons. Exactly. Yeah. A lot of horror. Icon- a lot of in this, yeah. Even the front of the book that I have, you can't see it's on the webcam here. The front of the book I have has a man wearing a mask, you know, which is pretty much what Patrick Bateman um, is. He's wearing a mask to pretend that he um, fits in society. It's like um, how you know, Michael Myers or Jason, they wear their mask um, to become a violent, scary figure. But Patrick Bateman wears his mask to cover up the fact that he's a violent, scary figure. His mask is his humanity, whereas underneath is, you know, where the true, true violence is. I think that brings up a really interesting point because Patrick Bateman is a, as a character, he's a white man with no distinguishing features. He has a blank face, you know, and that is like also the the same with Michael Myers when he's described and when he puts on that mask, that mask has no discernible traits other than white. (laughs) Completely. Yeah. And that's what Patrick is, basically. So we're we're connecting Patrick to all of the horror icons. (laughs) Definitely. Yes. I mean, we've, yeah, we've spoken a lot about him and I've related him to a lot of films. And I think it's evident that he, you know, there are threads of Patrick almost everywhere now. Exactly. And I, I think that's, I think that's really, really awesome. My last question, because this has been a really, really fun conversation. Yeah, I've had so much fun. (laughs) But my last question is going to be the title of the show. Do you think you, if you were ever in the same room as Patrick Bateman, <laughs> would you die? <laughs> 1,000% yes. There is, <laughs> there is no way. Okay, first of all, Patrick Bateman would not be interested in me because I'm blonde. I, I'm not blonde. I mean, I'm, I'm not blonde. I don't look like a supermodel. Um, I have bad teeth and I dress like shit so Patrick <laughs> Bateman would never look twice at me but 
if that man walked up to me in the club and said, we're going home, I would be, <laughs> I would be at that apartment getting chopped up to Susudio in no time. He would kill me and I'd probably thank him for it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's the Christian Bale effect right there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> but a hard question for you right now. Would it be the same if he was portrayed by our boy Stephen Yen? Yes. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> Again, enough. Ten thousand percent. Yes, I've loved. I've loved Stephen Yen since uh, the Walking Dead. He was the only reason I kept walking. <laughs> I kept watching the Walking Dead. He is equally, uh, if not more, gorgeous than Christian Bale. Um, <laughs> and he could also kill me, and I'd thank him for it. I get it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I would survive. Okay. Patrick Bateman. And I'll tell you why. Mm-hmm. I would never be registered <laughs> because I am not a threat to his ego. <laughs> I'm not a woman. Mm-hmm. And I'm not poor. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not rich, He's you know? Even like, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, he might consider me poor, but not, but I'm not poor, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you're, we're all poor to Patrick Bateman, but the, right. yeah, you're not you're not a, a person without a home. Yeah. So he wouldn't like the only way he would kill me is if I got in the way of him um, trying to feed a kitten to an ATM machine or. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Or, or if, you, if you know, got reservations at Dorsia and he could. Right. Because he is so insecure and fragile. If I had a better business card than him, you'd be chopped up. Mm-hmm. So if I was a threat to his ego, I he I'm pretty sure he could take me. I, I mm-hmm. don't like Christian Bale is ripped in that yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is, you know, there's there's not much, you know, that you could get past Christian Bale with an axe. Exactly. And like like he wouldn't need an axe like that's batman he could punch me in the face and i'm all and like i'd be like up in heaven immediately exactly <laughs> i i wouldn't have the chance to thank him because i'd already be, be i'd already be gone yeah he should be cast as one punch man so <laughs> um and you know stephen yen is i think it would take him a few more punches or he would need the axe, but I'm yeah. pretty sure he could take me. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I, I think <laughs> Sorry, Christian I Bale. To be like, yeah, yeah. He no, I, no, I, no. He, uh, <laughs> Stephen Yen is a strong dude. Like he looks strong, you know. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. he, he's, I'm. He looks like he's fit. If that makes sense. Oh yeah, definitely. But I do think there's a difference between Christian Bale at that peak human performance mm-hmm. oh it's huge yeah but you know what if Stephen yen had the role he would be at his peak but he has a different body type i mean he's, right. he's like he's like more slender he's slighter so i reckon he'd be faster than christian bale uh but christian that's bale true. has the, the mass behind him so Stephen yen at peak physical conditioning would still be able to take me i just think christian bale at peak physical conditioning is stronger Mm -hmm. i agree either way i'm not making it out (laughs) (laughs) but i'm also not jared leto so Mm -hmm. you got that going for you yeah 
what I, what I got going for me is I like Huey Lewis in the news. I wouldn't okay. be like, I wouldn't be like, uh, it's okay. I'd be like, yeah, I do. Back to the Future is one of my favorite movies. <laughs> Which I'm surprised I didn't bring up Back to the Future earlier because of the Huey Lewis. How awesome it must be to be Huey Lewis and have your songs featured in two iconic films. Yeah, well, he probably gets royalties every time. Thank you for being on the show and talking. No, thank you for having uh, me. Patrick Bateman with me. This has been a lot of fun. You got stuff to do. I got stuff to do. Well, not really. You got stuff to do. <laughs> I could keep talking for days, but you, you'll just have to come back to the show. Should you choose, you want to. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I can pick another villain. Definitely. It was hard to choose one, to be honest. Well, duel on duel. On duel. Like exactly. That's that's on tap. And then um, on deck on tap. Oh, my God. Um, That's on deck. So and. I'm, I'm sure you'll be on multiple times. So that'll be a lot of fun. Where can the people find you and your podcast? Um, you can find me pretty much everywhere at Hornblood Fire, Twitter, Instagram. I'm usually talking shit over on Twitter and getting, <laughs> getting angry about something. Um, my podcast is everywhere uh, on Anchor, on Spotify, on Apple. Uh, season two will be coming soon. Um, you can find my writing at Ghouls Magazine and Grimoire of Horror. And if you go to my website, you can sign up for my newsletter where I give recommendations of things to watch and I do fun lists and I do competitions sometimes. And yeah, that's where I am. Awesome. So that's cool. I love all that. And yeah, thank you for uh, talking Patrick Bateman with me. I know you got a reservation at Dorgia, so it's time to let you no, go. Thank but... you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to return some videotapes. Oh, yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to today's episode. Thanks again to Amber for joining me and talking about our boy, Patrick Bateman. This week on I Know What You Watched Last Week, I haven't watched much. I did get to see Jaws in theaters, and that is always a hit. It was in 3D, which I was kind of skeptical about, but... Honestly, that was probably the best 3D conversion I've seen yet. No surprise, Jaws continues to be a 5 out of 5. Perfect film. I was in Cincinnati for Horror Hound this past weekend, and I had a great time. I got to see the new Fred Heads documentary, which was co-produced and features my dear friend Deandra, who is on the podcast with me talking Freddy Krueger and Eddie Flueser not too long ago. I also met a few new friends who will be popping up on here soon. As always, you can find the show's social media on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Would You Die Show. You can find the Would You Die YouTube show on the Three Wise Men Media YouTube channel, where you can also find professional wrestling, trailer reviews, and much, much more. The music you hear in the beginning and end of each episode is composed by my friend, Josie Palmer. If you like what I'm doing with the podcast and you want to support me on this journey and you want me to be spooky full-time, I do have a buy me a coffee page where you can help support me financially. L really any little bit helps. You can find it. It's just, it's would you die. I have a link in the episode description and yeah, next week is going to be something very different, but very fun. Think about it as going back to school until then. I'm Austin Torres. Try not to die. <laughs>